19 years ago, Mary and I started dating. And as you do when you meet someone and start to date someone, you start to discuss, learn about their families. And I remember early in that relationship, talking about parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And we knew some of the same people, but people that were from Lancaster or from Driven Springs or from Crab Orchard or from Sanford. And I also remember Mary telling me about her Atwood ancestors and how that they had said that they had the same last name, but they, were, they married each other. And she said, well, one of them was from the other side of the hill was the way the story had gone. They're not related or any kind of connection or anything like that. They're from the other side of the hill. How many stories have we told over the years about what happened over on the other side of the hill, right? The, the beauty of what happened on the other side of the hill is we only have to know just a little bit of it. And then we can modify it. We can adjust it. We can brag about it. We can build it up just a little bit to the point that there's probably about 0.0001% of truth to it. But we tell it as if it was gospel, right? On the other side of the hill. A lot of good things have happened on the other side of the hill. A lot of bad things have happened over on the other side of the hill. All the good folks live on our side, right? The bad folks are over on the other side. Tonight, we're going to talk about a village on the other side of the hill from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There are 353 towns and villages in Israel mentioned by name in the Old Testament. I can't prove that. I didn't look them all up, but I was reading that. 353, which means that there's plenty more than one. But there were other stories that simply make reference to towns or villages. You might read something like Elijah went to another village. Or we read about Jesus during his miracles. They passed through this village or that village. And we have little towns and big towns and medium-sized towns all along the way. In some cases, the location probably doesn't matter. In some cases, it might matter quite a bit. Luke chapter 7 verses 36 and 37 Jesus is a guest in the home of Simon the Pharisee. But we're not told where that actually took place. I don't know where Simon the Pharisee lived. It doesn't appear to matter that much. The point of the story was a sinful woman was healed. But early in Luke chapter 7 you can see that Jesus had already passed through Capernaum I think he mentions that in Luke 7, verse 1. And he passed through Nain in Luke 7, in verse 10. Capernaum is mentioned often in the Bible. It's sort of the centerpiece of uh, Galilee where, where Jesus did a whole lot of his preaching and teaching, at least to start. Nain is mentioned one time. But tonight, we're going to look at and study a little bit about this village of Nain, and this widow who was there as well. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15, 
We read 11 through 17, but I just want to look at 11 through 15 right now. So I know you saw it up on the screen a few moments ago, but if you have your Bible handy, if you want, you can follow along with us right here. But I want you, as we so often do, I want you to put yourself in the place of a person in the community where this takes place. Okay? And I want you to just be, well, I'll I'll let you play any role that you want to be. You can be the mother in this story. You can be uh, a sister or uh, a relative of some kind in the story. Or you can just be an innocent bystander, whatever you want to be. But in Luke chapter 7, follow with me here, verses 11 through 15. Now it happened the day after that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented, Jesus presented him to his mother. Now, whatever role you want to play, whatever character you want to be in that story, be that for just a second. Imagine that you are the mother of the young man in this story. You've experienced a ton of grief over the last few days because of this death. Imagine that you are a friend or a relative to the mother and think about what you have experienced over the last few days in providing comfort or whatever it might be. Imagine you're just somebody who might have happened to have been on the same route as the funeral procession was on. You might have known someone or maybe there was a friend of a friend in this group. How would you have experienced this? We can go further. Imagine that you were Jesus in this story. Or maybe imagine that you were the young man in this story. See, all of these people have a story to say in a very tiny village that's mentioned once in the Bible. Jesus sees this funeral procession. And the crowd... And this large amount of people, and it says that Jesus had a crowd that was traveling with him. And so we have like a large group and a large group, and they sort of come together right here. And they've got this body. According to the Jewish burial customs, the body had been anointed with spices. The body was wrapped in cloth and laid on a plank or a beer, laid on a coffin, whatever the usage would have been. The Bible uses the word coffin. This should sound familiar to Bible students because in almost the exact same way Jesus' body will be handled at the end of the book of Luke and at the end of Matthew and Mark. The reason it was handled that way is this is how they did funerals. This is how they did burials. But these people passing through town, going out the gate and out to a burial plot somewhere. The dead man was the only son of his mother when she was a widow. And the woman was now alone. 
no husband or son in a culture that was almost impossible for a single woman to be able to exist in, much less thrive in, at the time. And Jesus sees all of this. And Jesus miraculously restores this young man back to life. And in the verses that we read, there are only about ten red words recorded right there. In verse 13, he tells the mother, do not weep. What's well, a hard command to tell somebody who's recently lost a loved one, who's actually going through the funeral procession right there. But then he says to the young man, he kind of turns over the other way or he touches the open coffin and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Imagine the ability to be able to do something like this. The ability to make something like this happen. And on the flip side, you just so happen to be walking to a town who has a funeral procession coming from a town. What are the miraculous odds, as it were, uh, that this would have happened right then and there? Well, as you can imagine, this would have filled the people certainly with gratitude, would have certainly filled them with astonishment. And I would say that there were a few stories told about what happened over the hill that night. What's the lesson of that? This is the first raising of the dead that we see of Jesus. The daughter of Jairus was raised in the next chapter. I believe it's Luke 8 where we see that. Jairus was a high-ranking ruler in the synagogue who had begged Jesus to come to his house and heal his daughter. We talked about this uh, in one of those miracle lessons a while back. But he came, he had begged for Jesus. And this is Jairus. This is a man who ranks way up at the top, essentially admitting, I don't have the ability to make my daughter better, but can In John chapter 11, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Lazarus, along with his sisters Mary and Martha, seemed to be, as the Bible portrays them, and some of the closest friends that Jesus has. And we see Jesus stop into their homes to eat and to visit during good times and during bad times as well. So Jesus raises three people. One was a child of the upper class. One was the child of a widow. And one was a personal friend. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? You thought that in a way, Jesus sort of hit every single category. Imagine if it was me, I would love to be able to do things well for my friends, right? And so I can completely understand the desire to raise Lazarus because he's a friend and we'll make it better. And then if some other friend has a problem, I'll fix that. And then another friend, and all of a sudden I'm helping all my friends, but the rumor's going to go around. He only helps the friends of his. He only helps the people that he likes. Jesus had the ability to heal Jairus' daughter. And perhaps some of us might have thought, you know what? There's a little bit of a ranking in this for me. I can probably heal 
Jairus' daughter, or other political leaders or religious leaders. I can heal their children or heal them. And what will happen to me is my status will rise in the community. But at Nain, Jesus heals the son of a widow who it would appear from the story he didn't know from Adam to use a phrase that we use today. What do you have to gain from that? See, that's not helping friends. That's not gaining status. That's doing something kind and good for somebody that you don't even know. I think that story would spread over the hill. As you can imagine, because the Bible says it, this news spread all throughout the region of Judea. Jesus' power came from the word arise. When he tells that young man to arise. However, it was his love and it was his compassion that made the story complete. You know, essentially, if you've never thought about it this way, but we might even go in, you could, if you had this ability, you could go to the cemetery and you could say, arise, 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 arise. And then you could do that. But he says to this young man, arise. Tells his mom, don't weep. And he says, for this young man to arise. He helped somebody that he didn't even know. He helped somebody that just happened to be coming out of the gate as he was walking into the gate right there. His comforting words set the stage for what Luke says in 7.15. He presented him to his mother. You know, today, I think we can be comforted the way the widow of Nain was. If you have your Bible, you can turn all the way to the very back. You're one chapter from the end, Revelation chapter 21, and look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. There's a hymn that uses these same words as well. We read, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. It says, For the former things have passed away. All of those things have passed away. But see, when we think about the lesson of name, it reminds us that this wiping away of tears that God can do is not just for friends or for high-ranking political figures, but it's for everybody there in between. It's for people that might just come across it ever so briefly. Do you remember when the man walks through the town and the woman who had the issue of blood, she said, if I could just touch the him of his garment, right? She said, I didn't need to see him for, you know, I don't need to sit down and talk and we don't need to have, but just, just a brief little bit, that faith that she had right there. The lesson of name is that that's available for all of us. Three times that we have talked about locations in the Bible. Religious Locations, that word, as it were. You may remember that we look back at where John the Baptist was teaching and preaching. You remember when John was baptizing and said he baptized in a certain place because there was much water there? It made sense that it would be right there. We talked about where Jesus 
began his ministry as well. But this town today is a Muslim settlement that's spelled N-E-I-N, although pronounced pretty similar even today. But on the south side of the hill where this is, lies a town that's referenced in the Old Testament. And that's the town of Shunem. That may not do anything for you, but let me tell you a little bit real quick about it. In first, excuse me, in 2 Kings chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you can read the whole thing, but it's a long chapter and there wasn't really time for it. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha restores a child to life in that town. So just know that for a second, that on the other side of the hill is a place where Elisha had restored to life a small child 800 and some odd years back. In Luke 7, 16 and 17, the last two verses that Dad read up here just a moment ago, the people of Nain glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and... God has visited his people. Those were the sayings that those people said. And they've seen this happen and they said, okay, a great prophet has come up, but not just somewhere else. Not just another place. Not just over the hill. But it has come up right here among us. God has visited his people. Those are the kind of things that were being told, were being spread after this took place. Because we read in verse 17, the report of this went throughout the region. The people thought Jesus as a prophet, viewed him as a prophet. Why? Well, perhaps it's because a few centuries before, in a story that you know had been told a million times, in a story that had probably been modified, in a story that had probably been adjusted, in a story that had probably been told, but every time it ended with the same thing, that a small child had been risen, raised by Elisha. The same thing happens in their community. A prophet of God had healed a child just over the head. Those people over on the other side get all the good stuff, right? Everything good happens to them and everything bad happens to us. Sometimes we might think about things like that. But the reality is, for the people of Nain, something good happened to them right there. In a village mentioned one time, in a village almost non-existent today, Six miles southeast of Nazareth, one of three raisings from the dead by Jesus took place. How many times do you think the story's been told since then? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that all spiritual blessings are located in Christ. Only two Passages in New Testament, in the New Testament tells you how to quote unquote get into Christ. I'm going to look at two real quick. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we read, Or do you know 
Or do you not know that many of us, let me start over again now, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore were buried with him through baptism into death. But just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Galatians chapter 30, verses 26 and 27, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We mentioned it at the beginning that it's not for a certain set of people. It's not for the wealthiest of people or the poorest of people. It's not designed for that. Salvation is designed for all who desire to have it. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it didn't matter what town you lived in, Jerusalem, Capernaum, or a little name with its one story, it's available for everyone. Location is important. And your location is the most important. And we have to figure out our location before it's too late. If there's anything we can do for you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing. Jesus, the love.